You're listening to The Big Show on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back to the show. It's The Big Show in the morning, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. No George Rustic. My name is Matt Rose. He's Patty Dumas. We got Alex Brody in the other room uh, taking requests, spinning some tracks. Mm. Uh, 960-960 has uh, had some fun interactions on the text line today. You can always be involved with the program. Just hit us up, 960-960. You can also be involved on Twitter, find the station at Sportsnet 960. I'm in Matt Rose, YYC. And in this hour, we're going to get a little bit of a preview on the Islanders and on the Calgary Flames, as that is the matchup tonight at the Scotiabank Saddledome. It's a one-off for the Flames, mm-hmm. one game at home, and then they're heading out for a five-game Central Division roadie right after they just been in Winnipeg. Okay. Probably has something to do with the Islanders being out in Western Scheduling. Canada. Hmm. Uh, we go down the Atlas Pizza and a Sports Bar guest hotline to talk to the color analyst on the radio for your New York or for the New York Islanders. His name is Greg Picker. Good morning, Greg. Thanks for taking some time today. How you doing, man? Good morning. Uh, doing well. Thanks for for having me on. Yeah, our pleasure. Uh, let's start here. The Islanders yesterday a four two loss up in Edmonton. Uh, Connor McDavid with a couple of points as is kind of the trend this year. Uh, what did you make of the Islanders' contest up the road in Edmonton yesterday? Well, it's, early to, it's easy to look at uh, special teams being a big factor in that one, considering a, a 2 nothing deficit by the end of the first, and uh, gave a power play goal, gave up a shorthanded goal, and from that point forward, it was, it was a 2-2 score the rest of the way, but uh, the special teams did not do the Islanders any favors, and... In particular, the power play has struggled as of uh, the last couple of weeks. Go back the last 12 games for the Isles, and they are just two for 35 on the power play. So uh, if they want to uh, solidify a playoff spot in the Eastern Conference and they're, they're hanging on by a thread right now, the power play is going to have to improve. Well, and, and you look at the Islanders and you look at the Flames and, and power play clips, pretty similar. The Islanders, 18.5%. They're 27th in the NHL. The Flames, 189 to be 26th in the entire NHL. And I'd say that one of the, the similarities between both of these teams is neither of them necessarily have that guy I would look at and say, that is a dangerous power play shooter right there. That guy is absolutely lethal. Like a Tage Thompson or an Alex Ovechkin to throw a couple of glaring examples out there would you feel the same or, or is there something else going on with the islanders power play that's being an issue as far as them being able to put the puck in the net no i would i would agree with that i mean jg pajot is the guy who's leading the way with five power play goals for the islanders this year and then you have five other players tied with three each and the ironic thing is that matt barzell who the power play often runs through I and mean, it's on his stick five on five all the time but even on the power play usually has that spot on the left side half court and and is the one to try to initiate most of uh, what they're looking to do. The ironic thing is he's been scoring goals at the plate, five straight games with a goal down for Matt Barzell. And when it got to four, that was already a career high for him. And so he uh, scored the opening goal for the Islanders last night in Edmonton. And you'd think, okay, if uh, if he's scoring in five straight games, then power play's got to be clicking. But uh, that, that still has not been the case. It was Pajot that scored the last power play goal. That was in the, the 6-2 win in Vancouver. And game two, uh, what is a four-game Western road trip that does conclude tonight. Now, Matt Barzell is in an interesting case because you mentioned he's red hot right now. He's scoring goals at a, at a ridiculous clip with 
tallies in his last five games, but it took him a long time to bury his first goal. If I'm not mistaken, it was November 19th in Dallas where he had a, a couple of goals to finally get on the board. How's been the season for Matt as a whole is kind of the, the main point producer that I think a lot of people look at with this Islanders group. Yeah, people are talking about how he hasn't scored a goal. It's been 18 games this year, but he had 19 assists in those first 18 games. So he was still producing, even if he wasn't the one actually putting the puck in the back of the net. Uh, he's had a, a bit of a rotating cast of wingers, especially on the right side, considering the Islanders have had quite a few injuries this year. And it's been strange to see Casey Sezikis on his wing, but that's been the case for the last week. And Sezikis is a guy who's got 700-plus uh, games in the National Hockey League. And he didn't play wing for the first 698 of them. He's always been that, that what we call the identity line center, uh, fourth line, but uh, they, they play a bigger role for the Islanders than most teams' fourth lines do. Mm-hmm. But because of some injuries, Kyle Palmieri um, has been a guy who's been out for a really long time this year. Now he's, he's inching his way back. Don't think we're going to see him tonight. There is a, an outside chance we do. But with no morning skate, we won't have that indication until closer to game time. Um, Sezikis has stepped up, and, and he's been piling up some points with hmm. Matt Barzell as of late. Three-game point streak for him, uh, four points in those three games, uh, a goal and three assists. Greg Picker joining us here on the Big Show in the morning. My name is Matt Rose. He's Patty Dumas. We discussed the New York Islanders. Greg, uh, All-Stars were named uh, yesterday. Well, the first group of All-Stars were named. Uh, Islanders represented by Brock Nelson, age 31, putting together another solid season uh, just behind Matt Marzell and leading scoring. Uh, but we were talking about it a little off the air, but just the Islanders, like they've got guys that have just been around, like it feels like forever. And, and uh, Brock Nelson's one of them. Kyle, Kyle Clutterbuck's another one. Casey Sezikis. Anders Lee. Anders Lee. Uh, talk about Brock Nelson and how deservedly he's been for the to get an All Star uh, appearance here coming up at the end of the month here in, in, in Sunrise. Yeah, I mean last year you, you go back, he set career highs by far, and, and the goal totals at least he had thirty seven goals. There he had that outside shot at uh, outside shot at forty goals that we were keeping an eye on pretty much the entire second half of last season. That didn't happen, but still thirty seven goals yeah. not too shabby. <laughs> And uh, off to a, a pretty good start this year, although the goal scoring has slowed down. Mm-hmm. But he, in the first 17 games this year, um, had 18 points, you know, over a point per game pace. But the assists have been coming for him as of late, just no goals. Uh, it's kind of funny, though, that as the goals kind of slowed down. This is when the All-Star Game nomination occurred. No goals in his last 18 games, but still five assists. Uh, it's great to see, though, a longtime guy. I remember when Josh Bailey was named to the team in 2017-18, and it meant so much to him, so much to his family. Brock is a father of four, and uh, it's going to be nice that he gets to take the entire family to this all-star fest- the All-Star festivities down in, in South Florida, a great spot for the family to go for a few days in uh, early February. So, you know, he's one of those guys, as you said, that, that has been around for a long time. And post-Dynasty, um, there were not a lot of guys that stuck around for more yeah. than a few seasons. And so it's really great to see Josh Bailey now third in games played in franchise wow. history. He still has a couple more years on his contract. So he could he could absolutely be the Islanders' all-time games played leader when things are said and done. Matt Martin left, came back. He's over 700 games with the Islanders. Brock Nelson, who played 717 tonight. Casey Sezikis just mentioned 
over 700. So these are all guys that are now top 11 in games played. And everybody else you look at on that list was part of the Cups, um, or at least kind of entered right as that was uh, that was wrapping up in the early to mid 80s. So it's uh, it's nice to see some consistency over the last decade with the uh, guys for the Islanders. Now, is that something to do with, with maybe the president, you know, Lou Lamarillo? Is that like something that uh, kind of thing that he's brought over to the island is just kind of like what he had in Jersey with just like a consistency? You know, he's been there since 2018 now. Is it trying to get that more like that role that it was in the 1980s and like the dynasty days is just getting back the respectability for the New York Islanders? Yeah, Lou definitely has a lot to do with it. It goes back to Garth Snow, though, also. Yeah. These are all guys that were drafted by Garth Snow. Mm-hmm. And these are guys that, that love Long Island. I mean, they want to raise their families there. And we have this new arena now, second year UBS. Yep. And so the arena situation is not a factor. Brand, not quite brand new. It's uh, about six years old now, but state of the art practice facility. So um, guys who come to Long Island, they, they seem to love it and want to stay. And just a combination of all those factors has led to uh, some longevity now in the orange and blue. Another guy that I've been really excited to watch, and I think he's the maybe the next up-and-coming offensive dynamo from the blue line, and that's Noah Dobson, uh, just trailing Eric Carlson uh, by three goals, I believe it is, is uh, in defensive scoring. Uh, you know, just uh, this, uh, this guy's only 24 years old, uh, just continues to get better and better as he uh, continues to grow in the NHL. Eh? Or 22, yeah, he, sorry, uh, he's 22 he's even. He's younger he's than 24. Yeah, and he's... he's... <laughs> He turns 23 tomorrow, oh. actually, and his defensive partner, most nights Alex Romanov, turns 23 today. So they're born just one day apart wow. in January of <laughs> 2000 to make us all feel uh, pretty old. But uh, from an offensive side, he's, he's you know, simply fantastic. Um, there was a, a good stretch earlier this year and even the last couple of years where, from power play standpoint, he had a, a huge impact on, on putting the puck in the back of the net. Uh, second most goals now in Islanders history among defensemen born, or pardon me, under the age of 23. So 27 goals for him in 200 games in the National Hockey League. Uh, he, he won't finish first. Dennis Pockton had 72 goals before he <laughs> turned 23, but uh, Noah Dobson ends up as number two. Uh, Lou Lamoureux was asked about him a few weeks ago when he had some media availability, and, and the phrase he used was, Offense is there. Offense is fantastic. Just need to be a little bit more assertive on the defensive side of things, and that's definitely the case. He was minus three in Seattle in the first game of this road trip, was a minus one last night. But uh, from an offensive standpoint, he's got everything that you might possibly want in that 200 games through his National Hockey League career. Uh, the other defense, when they, they acquired uh, this past uh just passed at the draft this past July uh, from the Canadians, Alex Romanov, his birthday today, uh, as you mentioned there. Uh, he was really loved by the Canadians. Ken Hughes mentioned how difficult it was to trade Romanov, uh, but it was necessary for them to do the Kirby Doc trade and whatnot. But how has Romanov been received uh, on Long Island? It didn't take long for Islanders fans to love yeah. him as well. I mean, <laughs> that physical style of play certainly draws some attention. And, you know, he's not causing issues and taking himself out of the play. And I know when he came over and you read about some of the things that Canadians writers and, and fans may have had to say, and I haven't seen that as much. And he's the Islanders needed a, a left shot defenseman this year. That was the number one need in the off season because they had a couple of guys who were definitely on the veteran side of things that 
played on the left side last year, and Savannah Chai and Andy Green both have since retired. So that was the number one need, and the Islanders went out and, and paid a big price, but it's been worth it. A 22-year-old, now 23, that you expect to be on this line for a really long period of time. And again, for the most part, he's been partnered with Noah Dobson, who's more of an offensive player. So that combination works really well with Romano being more on the defensive side of things. So when you look at this top four, and I know Adam Pellick's been been hurt, but Pellick and Pulak, left and right-handed, both 28 years old, both signed long-term. That's a great top pair. Dobson, Romanov, left and right-handed, both going to be 23, signed for three years. Like The Islanders have to love how their top four is set up when everyone's healthy. Yeah, and we'll see what happens with Scott Mayfield, who's been a, another guy that's been an Islander for a long time. His contract, though, is up at the end of this season. He's been the type of guy that stepped up big in, in some playoff moments. And the Islanders had back-to-back extended runs in 2020 and 2021. And Mayfield scored some big goals there, even though he is more of a defensive guy. And I think the way that uh, the, the playoff style kind of suits his game a little more when the penalties aren't called quite as much and he's such a physical player. So we'll see if he ends up returning next season and, is part of a long-term situation. Someone that has had to step up as of late is Parker Wallerstein, British Columbia guy who was drafted in 2015, spent nearly 300 games in the American Hockey League before he got his chance. And because of what well, we talked about, injury to Adam Pellick, uh, Robin Salo had to, had to step up for a little while. And after a stretch of him, Islanders just wanted to see what Parker Wallerstein had. And he's now played in six games and, and shouldn't, really well on the, the third pairing for the Isles. Or you could even call it a top pairing because he's been partnered more with Ryan Clark than anybody else, actually, during this uh, this stretch over the last week and a half. Wanted to ask you as well about a young player, Atu Ratti. He's a, a Finnish forward who, in the 2021 draft, had been rated as a first-round prospect, definitely had the offensive prowess to be a first-rounder, but ended up sliding for whatever reason. The Islanders ended up uh, nabbing him in the, the 52nd overall pick in the second round, getting a, a chance to show what he's got in the NHL with some injuries up front right now to the Islanders. What have you made of Adirati's play uh, this season? So, in, let's say 2020, he was being talked about as a potential top five pick yep. in 2021. And then, for whatever reason, just being a you know 17-year-old, it didn't really click with him at the top division in Finland in that 2020-21 season, his draft year only had six points in 35 games. And he fell down to, like you said, the second round, 52nd overall. And the Islanders did not have a first-round pick that year. They went out and made a pretty big acquisition during that 2021 season, that COVID-shortened 56-game campaign, and got uh, Kyle Palmer and Travis Zajac from the Devils. And it worked out pretty well, considering mm-hmm. those were two guys that were key on a run to – Game seven of the Stanley Cup semifinals, so it was a, a big price to pay, but it worked out. And then when you come out of the 2021 draft, and you say, we feel like we got a, a first-round talent in Atu-Atu. Everybody was pretty happy from an Islander standpoint. He made a, a move in Finland after he was drafted, put up 40 points in 41 games with a different team on, that he had a bigger role on. I said, okay, that, that first-round talent is still there. And then he had to come up again, like we said, because of the injuries. And he's playing a different type of role than you'd probably expect to see him long-term because he's been centering what we would consider the fourth line between 
Matt Martin, and last night it was Kyle Clutterbuck. He had Ross Johnston on his wing earlier this week, but he's still able to pop home a couple of goals, and his release is fantastic, and he just seems to find a, a certain nose for the net and nose for the right area. His, limited, his time on ice has certainly been limited. They've been kind of working him in slowly. I mean, he's only been averaging eight minutes and 24 seconds per game, but maybe in a, in a future situation where he can find himself in a, in a middle six role, then uh, he'll be able to really excel. And I'm wondering if they might use him a little bit on power play because the Islanders mixed around the power play the last couple of games. Haven't really seen a whole lot of that, but uh, things could change in a, in a hurry if the power play still doesn't get going soon. Greg, we've had you on the phone for quite some time. Still haven't asked you about the Vesna caliber goaltending we'd seen from Ilya Sorokin and really Semyon Varlamov as well as the Islanders are third in the entire NHL when it comes to team save percentage this season, just trailing the Bruins and the Jets. Um, I think a lot of people around the Islanders organization knew that Ilya Sorokin had this in him. He just kind of needed the opportunity to be a number one goalie, but how much did you know this was going to happen just based on the second half of last year? You know, we're not surprised at all. And before Semyon Varlamov was injured a few weeks ago, it was a, really felt like a, a three out of every five games were Ilya Sorokin. I'm not going to say two out of every three, but uh, probably three out of every five games were Ilya getting the start. And then he's had to be thrust into a, a really long stretch here of starting eight straight games. But Simeon Varlamov has dressed the last two, so in all indications are with the back-to-back in Edmonton last night and down Calgary here tonight, uh, Varley will get the start. But during during our preseason games, we uh, you know we we talked about the fact that it looked like the Islanders probably had the best goaltending tandem in the National Hockey League coming into this year, and you can make the case that there are other individuals that you might have and decide to if you're starting a team and, and pick ahead of. Anneli Sorokin or Semyon Varlamov, not many, but as a tandem and a combination, I don't think that there's any better combination in the National Hockey League than Anneli Sorokin and Semyon Varlamov. Varley has put together a, a nice stretch this year in terms of the, the win-loss compared to Ilya, 12-8-3 is Semyon, and Sorokin just one game over NHL 500, but he's deserved much more than that. I mean, he has a 2.35 goals against average, 924 save percentage, and it's only be one win over NHL 500. That's a, a little surprising to see, but that's sometimes how the breaks go. Islanders fans have to feel real good about that situation now because I'm just kind of scrolling through the, the goaltending situation between the pipes over the last decade for the Islanders. And it's been a lot of veteran journeymen, uh, Genny Nabokov, Kevin Poulin, Grice, Halak, Leonard was there for a bit, and then Varlamov arrived. And now Sorokin and Varlamov have really shown that they can be an outstanding tandem together. It's got to be refreshing to kind of have that locked down and, and know that, that that can work for the next little bit here, uh, especially with Sorokin signed for a couple seasons. Yeah, a couple of the names you mentioned. Um, there was a Yaroslav Halak, Thomas Grice tandem for a few seasons. That, that worked out pretty well. Yaro was really the starter in, in 14-15 when that was a big year for the Islanders because that was the original last year at NASA Veterans Memorial Coliseum. And uh, Yarrow set, uh, I believe he set the Islanders' record for wins in a single season. And then Thomas Grice the next year was just supposed to be his backup, and Yarrow got hurt towards the end of the season. And Grice was uh, fantastic in a first-round playoff series against the Florida Panthers. 
and that was the first playoff series win for the Islanders in 23 years. Robin Leonard only had one year on the island, but that was maybe as impactful of a one-year that a player and a fan base can have together because Robin really turned around his life. He, he came out about his story and his struggles with some some substances, and uh, I believe alcohol was the biggest factor. And he now has a tattoo of Long Island on his neck, does Robin Leonard. Mm-hmm. And that just is because he explains just how much Long Island turned around his life and the connection that he had with the fans. And as Islander fans, you know, they've, they've kept an eye on him even since he left in, in 2019. And uh, this morning that he's, he's had the injury situation and we'll keep him out all season long. So although there are names that were kind of in and out, a lot of those goaltenders had pretty big impacts on the team and, and on the franchise as a whole in their short run. But we do expect Ilya to be here for the long haul of Varlamov. Uh, it's his fourth year with the Isles. He's been the goaltender for a couple of long runs, as we mentioned, in 2020 and 21. Uh, his contract is up at the end of the season, so we'll see if he if he wants to stick around. Maybe he'll give the reins a little bit more and more to Ilya Sorokin. Uh, like we said, a lot of guys who come to Long Island, they, they don't really want to leave, and that's been the case even for Evgeny Nabokov. You go back a decade, yeah. he didn't want to come to Long Island when he was picked up off waivers. And I don't know if fans remember the story. He signed in Europe and then because he came to North America so late in the season, he was signed by the Red Wings. He had to go on waivers. Islanders nabbed him. Uh, no pun intended there. He didn't report. Next year he did. And what did he do after that? He signed a contract extension. So that just shows that once guys learn about life on Long Island, they, uh, they often want to stick around. So maybe Varley will do that as well. It's no Columbus, I hear, but it uh, must be quite nice. Um, Greg, uh, my last one for you is we did get a text while we were chatting here, uh, 960-960. Uh, listeners can always join in the show. Um, apparently the Islanders need to wear the fisherman jersey more often. Do you agree? So they lost their first game with it, and it was a, it was a tough one. It was more one of those scheduled losses out of back-to-back, second half against the rest of the team. That's pretty good. Shut out back Carolina. But then they were in a couple of games since and, and have won both of those contests. And there are certainly a, there certainly is a segment of the Islanders population, the fans, that hate the fact that they're going back to those because in the 90s it was two years with a very little success. Um, I still maintain that if the Islanders had brought out the Fishermen in the 90s and it was an alternate jersey, it would have been looked at much differently mm-hmm. than when it replaced – a jersey that was a logo that was worn for four Stanley Cups in the early 80s. But, uh, you know, here we are 20 years later, and there's a pretty big segment of the fan base that grew up with those jerseys, that those are their first Islander memories, watching Ziggy Palfi with the Fisherman jersey, and they certainly toned it down. Teal is a little less evident than it was and more of a traditional look in terms of colors with the blue, orange, and white, and then just a, a splash of teal. So it, it's fun to, to bring these jerseys out. And even throughout the entire National Hockey League, these reverse retros, they only wear them six times this year through the aisles. But, uh, you know, it, it's six fun games. And they even brought back a mascot from the 90s that was short-lived named Niles, who is uh, he's a fisherman. I mean, it, it's been fun to see him walking around the concourse, and he hasn't been seen in 20 years. Niles the Fisherman, right on. Love it. Love to see him around the building. Uh, Greg, uh, 
Uh, hopefully, we see you around the building tonight, man. Enjoy the uh, enjoy the contest and have a great call. Hey, thanks, buddy. Thank you, thank you. Always fun to see a game in the Saddle Dome. Been a been a few years. Good luck on the uh, catwalk yeah, up there. Hey, be careful. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot, Greg. Take care, man. Thank you. There you go. That's Greg Picker, mm-hmm. color analyst for the New York Islanders on the radio side, uh, and very generous with his time today. Yes, very well, uh, very well spoken. How, uh, as he's talking about yeah. the the fishermen, yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, boy, some parallels here to the reverse retro of the flames. Well, that's had. exactly it. It's it's a, it's, it's, it's a conversation about pe- uh, the yeah. pedestal or blasty. Yeah, pedestal or blasty. It's it's... Pedestal came in in the '90s after they had won a cup, mm-hmm. and they didn't play very well in no. it. They had some bad years, no. and I think there were people that were like, "Do we have to? Do we have to relive that?" We made the playoffs once wearing the pedestals. It was the first. Jerome year. was there, but. We never really played past April 3rd. No, not usually. No summer hockey here in no. the old pedestals. That was unfortunate. But it, it was. It was like uh, a lot of the, the, the kids, they grew up, and that was what the NHL was going for with the 1990s and the alternate jersey program. And, the, you know, like the Islanders. I, I was a big fan of the, uh, uh, I like the fishermen. I like the teal. I like the wave. That's one thing I wish they kind of did with the reverse retro was bring in more teal, bring in the wave. But I get it. I get it. You, you win four straight Stanley Cups, and then, like, uh, things get rough. We're going to change things up and go with everybody else in the 90s and modernize the NHL. It, it, it Definitely. I get uh, And the Islanders are a traditional team. Definitely probably uh, left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. Yeah, I'm just looking up Niles, the fisherman. Does the he old, look like uh, the logo? The old mascot. Yeah, he kind of does. Gotta, Apparently, like, he was, like, 12 feet tall. What the? So he was a little bit so jarring. Terrifying. Yeah. Uh, fifteen found a uh, seven foot fisherman caricature with a fifteen pound plastic head and a red flashing light atop his noggin. Did you see? Have you um, seen a picture? He of fell it? as flat as a flounder. Very nice. That's terrifying. Yeah, it is terrifying. That is humongous. <laughs> wow, that's like yeah. Oh, and Niles is spelt like N Y Isles. Oh my god, that's funny. That's clever. Play on I like that. Good. I like. I, I he's like not them. as terrifying as I like their drag as the guy up north, but oh, he's yeah. still pretty scary. Uh, I just wanted. Uh, and quickly... apparently, it was all Billy Joe's fault. Joel's fault. We'll have to do some research here. <laughs> uh, update here uh, with the Bills' safety, Demar Hamlin. Oh. That's from Ian Rappaport. It's a nice segue. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely amazing. Uh, what's hat gone on right now? Uh, he spoke with the team via FaceTime. Breathing tubes out. Uh, spent the morning speaking to various teammates on FaceTime. Now he's delivering a message to the entire group. That's from Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Love to hear that. Uh, excellent news as it uh, does look like um, all systems go for this weekend and and just great news for DeMar Hamlin as he continues to uh, progress in a positive direction. Um, Derek Will's going to join us. Sure is. He's going to be in the Saddle Dome tonight mm-hmm. calling the Islanders in the Flames. Got the story on the road team. Let's get the story on the home team. Yeah. We'll ask him about Dylan Dubé, okay. how much he's improved. Okay. How about that? All right. Deal? Yep. We'll Got take you. a break. Sports at 960 The Fan. We're just uh, discussing off air the uh, kind play- of a lose cause NFL playoff scenario. The, the next guest is a, is a Finns fan. That's what I was going to do. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, we're finding out the starters for the Bills and the Jets game, which has... Dolphins, Jets. Bills and Dolphins game, which has some Jets Dolphins game. There you go. <laughs> yeah, day joining. Gosh. <laughs> just I'm just gonna start over the Welcome to the show. 
<laughs> we got our final segment of uh, the big show with Russick and Rose. I've been back for two days, and it certainly feels that way. This weekend, when the Jets play the Dolphins, mm-hmm. there's going to be some bad quarterbacks starting. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Joe Flacco will be starting for, uh, is Mike White hurt again? Mike White's hurt, I think. Okay. And uh, obviously, Teddy Bridgewater's dislocated finger isn't good enough. So, Skylar Thompson will be uh, trying to get the Dolphins into the playoffs. Skylar Thompson will try to get the Dolphins into the playoffs. They will clinch a wild card berth with a win over the Jets and a Patriots loss to the Bills. And our next guest, Derek Wills, the play-by-play voice of the Flames, supports the Finns. How are you feeling about the matchup this weekend, Derek? Guys, this is not how I wanted to start my day. I did not want to start my day by being reminded that my beloved Miami Dolphins, lifelong, long-suffering fan, have lost five in a row. They've gone from eight and three to eight and eight. And now, no Tua. And now, no Teddy, which might not be a bad thing because uh, he's been brutal and he can't stay healthy for literally one game. He can't get through one game. And so it's Skyler. Seventh-round rookie. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, Thompson versus the Jets. I mean, the Dolphins are still the better team. As long as Skyler Thompson doesn't lose the game for them, they should win the game. And I've got to think the Bills are going to beat the Patriots. So, if that's what it takes for the Dolphins to back in, then I'll take it. And I'm hoping, two is back for the playoffs because uh, you guys are going to think I'm crazy, or maybe you won't, but I think they could beat anybody with him under center from start to finish in a game. Um, certainly feel that way after how well he played against uh, the Bills in Buffalo, but um, yeah, it's been a tough stretch for my Finns, that's for sure. Oh, well, that's too bad. But at least, hey, you'll get to watch the game on Sunday. It's uh, an early one, and the Flames will play at 5 o'clock, so there you go. Uh, you'll be and, able to and chew your nails. Are, are you, yeah, are you going to congratulate me for winning our fantasy football league? I wasn't going to, but if you'd like me to, I can. Congrat- <laughs> I'm congratulate myself then. Congra- go, Derek. Congratulations, Derek. Yeah. It was very impressive. Uh, Beat me. Oh, we don't need to do that. That's too much. Stop the, with the applause. The, the top, but- I was the top seed. He upset me in the week one. The- yeah, listen, he wins yeah. as the eighth seed. I had the second most points in the league as the seventh seed. I've been very frustrated <laughs> with this particular league this year. It's been a mess. But nevertheless, congratulations, Derek. Well, I feel bad for Pat Steinberg because he literally finished like a point and a half behind me and probably had a better team. But, you know, basically uh, team two and on, which is what I named my team this year. uh, They they did what Daryl Sutter's Kings did back in 2012. Eight seed to uh, Stanley Cup champion. (laughs) Uh, Team two and on, eight seed to uh, Sportsnet 960 fantasy football champion. Very similar story. That makes me the Canucks. You're the Canucks. From that year. Yeah, okay. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> I'm done with this. Let's talk about the Flames. Uh, big game today. They'll be taking on the New York Islanders. Uh, Derek, while I was away, the Flames played four games. They went two and two, and they were outscored by zero goals as they were all one-goal games once again. Um, we keep seeing this movie. It's like you get home, and you're like, what should I watch? Uh, the Office again? Yeah, sure. Give me Steve Carell. Why not? Uh, except I'm starting to get bored of it, um, whereas I don't typically get bored of The Office. Uh, what are you seeing with the Flames as far as these tight games? Well, I think they were built to be a 3-2 team. You know, Daryl Sutter has talked forever about this being a 3-2 league, and it's been less a 3-2 league this season than in most seasons because power plays are up and goals are up. And obviously those two things are tied together, and I think the league wants more goals. So I believe they've instructed their officials to call things a little bit tighter, at least on most nights. 
there has been inconsistency with some of the young officials in the league and probably some of the older ones as well, but that's led to more goals. So the, the Flames have been a fantastic team when scoring three or more. They're 18-2-5 when they score three or more goals, and they are now 0-12-2 when they don't. So they are built to be a 3-2 team, and four of their last five games have been 3-2 games. Uh, both of their games against the Jets this season have been 3-2 games. And as Daryl Sutter said post-game after that Jets game and said again yesterday after practice, they need one of their stars. I'm not sure which word to use, but one of their better players to be a game breaker. And they don't have a generational talent on their team. They don't have a Connor McDavid or an Austin Matthews, but they've got a lot of really good players. And basically Daryl said, when you don't have one of those guys, then you need those, your other guys to take turns being the hero and another one goal game. The flames could have won, uh, and on paper should have won. The Jets are really banged up right now. They're without seven regulars. They're about to get healthy, and I think they're about to be a, a really tough team to deal with because they've been tough to deal with uh, even though they've been without a bunch of their better players. So it was uh, a tough one for the Flames, and now you look for them to bounce back against the Islanders team in the second half of a back-to-back that lost uh, to the Oilers up in Edmonton last night, and you know, we're still fairly early in the season. We're still in the first half of the season, but every point matters. So this feels like a pretty important game for the Flames before they head on a five-game road trip. Dylan Dume receiving a lot of praise from the head coach yesterday as far as being the most improved player within the entire organization year to year. Um, in the last five games, he's got one point, but I feel like he's been doing a lot of other good things on that line with Elias Lindholm and Tyler Toffoli. Are you maybe surprised at how long he's been able to hold on to that spot um, on that line? Not really, because why would you take him off of it, A? And who would you put in his place, B? I mean, to me, there's nobody that really jumps out at me saying, I deserve to play left wing on the first line with Elias Lindholm and Tyler Toffoli. I think he earned the opportunity to play there, and he hasn't done anything that uh, would lead me to take him off of that line and I guess further to that I'm not sure there's been anybody further down the lineup that has done enough to take that spot away from Dylan Dubé and uh, I can't speak about how players have been for the Calgary Wranglers I I just don't watch them enough so I'll leave that uh, to people like Daryl Sutter and others who do but uh, I feel comfortable saying that Dylan Dubé is the most improved player on the Flames this season and there are some other guys who would probably like to, to put their names into that conversation. But, you know, he got off to a tough start, guys, at least statistically. He had four points in the first 17 games, but it's really turned for him. Matt, you talked about the fact that he's got one point in the last five, so that's the bad side of it. But he's got nine points in the last 10, so that's good. And he's got 17 points in the last 22, which is really good. And, you know, Dylan Dubé is on pace to have a career year points-wise, uh, just one off the, the pace he set for goals with 18 last season. So he's been a good player on that line. And I think the reason he's been such a good fit is, and this isn't a knock on Jonathan Huberto, who has turned the corner and is playing a lot better hockey of late, but Dylan Dubé is uh, an excellent skater. And he plays with more pace than Jonathan Huberto does. And I think that first line needed some pace. They had pace last season. Johnny Gaudreau was a player who played with pace. So you've, you're trying to replace him in some way, shape, or form. We thought that Jonathan Huberto would be the natural guy to do it because 
of his skill set because he's one of the best playmakers in the game, just like Gaudreau, but uh, that didn't work. Doesn't mean it won't work, but it didn't work, at least not uh, to the level the Flames wanted it to. And then you've got Tyler Toffoli on the other side, who shares a lot of the same characteristics of Matthew Kachuk. And this isn't a knock on Tyler, but much like Matthew, not a great skater, but does almost everything else really, really well. So he's been a great fit with Elias. And Dylan has brought pace. He gets it on the forecheck. He bangs. He crashes. He wins battles. And the the grit in his game, I think, has helped Lindholm and Toffoli as well. So he's been a good fit. And until someone else steps up or, or Dylan's game drops off, then I'd leave him right where he is. We've talked a lot about one-goal games uh, over the course of the season, and, and we were talking to Sam Cosentino earlier in hour number two, and he brought up, you know, it's it's not just the one-goal games, it's 3-2 games for the Flames. Yeah. They've played in 10 3-2 games. Do you know what their record is in those 10 games, Derek? No. It is and 7-3, which I was surprised to hear that they were above 500 in those type of situations. Does that maybe surprise you as well? No. It doesn't because I think they're built to be a 3-2 team. I think they want to play in 3-2 games. Unlike, let's say, the Oilers. Mm. They're not built to be a 3-2 team. I don't think they want to play in 3-2 games. They'd rather play in 5-4, 6-5 games. The same thing could be said about the Panthers. We've talked about the transition that Jonathan Huberto and Mackenzie Weger have had to make going from pretty much polar opposites. You've got a Panthers team that plays East-West and wants to win high-scoring hockey games to a Flames team that plays north-south and wants to win low-scoring hockey games and I think good teams have to be able to win different types of games the Flames were definitely a good team last year that won in different ways but they were able to outscore some of their issues last season they haven't been able to do that as often this season so I'm not surprised to hear the Flames have a really good record in 3-2 games Uh, I talked about uh, the record when they score three or more 18-2-5 well, their record when they score or surrender two or fewer is 12-2-2. Two, and two. Mm-hmm. Like I said, they're built to be a 3-2 team. And I think if they can continue to, to play the brand of hockey they've been playing, and I didn't love their game against the Jets, guys. I thought they were flat to start the game, got better as the game went on, and needed someone to step up in the third period, and, and it didn't happen. They weren't bad in that game. They just they weren't good enough. But for me, that's a bit of an outlier. Uh, of what I've been seeing from them of late. I've really liked the way their game has been trending. And uh, really, I think Daryl said it best yesterday. They, they just need some of their best players to step up in big situations more often than they have to this point in the season. And the good news is I think they have the guys uh, who are capable of doing that. They just need to do it maybe on a, a bit more consistent basis moving forward. If I look at the schedule coming up, you got the Islanders on Friday, and then it's two massive weeks. These next eight games are going to be big for you. You got a five game Central Division road trip. The Blues and Predators both chasing the Flames. You got two games against the Blues, one game against the Predators. The Avalanche chasing the Flames. You got a game against them as well, a game against the Lightning, and then it's Columbus and Chicago, too. This feels like a, a really big stretch for the team because it's kind of going to be the, the little preempt until just one month ahead of the trade deadline. And we know Brad Trilliven likes to kind of get business done ahead of the deadline. So I'm looking at these next two weeks as just a massive stretch for the team as a whole. And they enter it in the second wild card position tonight. Yeah, every game is a big game. And uh, it feels a little bit too early to be watching the out-of-town scoreboard. <laughs> but I don't know about you guys. I've been watching the out-of-town scoreboard just to see what teams around the Flames are doing. The good news is, The Flames are still very much within striking distance of, I would say, second place 
in the Pacific Division. They'd have to go on a real run to catch the Golden Knights, or the Golden Knights would have to fall off a cliff for that to happen. I'm not saying it's not going to happen or it couldn't happen. I just don't think it's likely to happen. But when you look at the Kings, they're sitting in second place with 50 points. So there's seven points ahead of the Flames, but the Flames have three games in hand on the Kings. So you do the math, and that doesn't look too bad. Now, the Kraken are three points ahead of the Flames, sitting in third place in the Pacific Division. But the bad news is they have two games in hand on the Flames. And sitting between the Kraken and the Flames, you've got the Oilers uh, one point ahead of the Flames, and they've played one more game. So the Flames are looking pretty good as far as uh, the Battle of Alberta goes. But this is a team that I think would love to finish top three in the Pacific Division. I believe if they do, we'll get our, our second straight Battle of Alberta in the Stanley Cup playoffs. This time it would be Flames versus Oilers in the first round instead of the second round. You get into one of those wild card spots, and you could be looking at a a little bit tougher matchup. So, yeah, if you're the Flames, every game is an important game. I would say there's added importance to games inside of the Pacific Division. They've been pretty good inside their division so far this season. They've got lots of games against the Pacific coming up. But, you know, even a game against an out-of-conference opponent in the Islanders is a big game. It's the second half of a back-to-back for the Islanders. So if you're the Flames, you have to try to take advantage of what could be a tired team. And for the Flames, they had a really busy month of December, guys. They had 16 games in the month of December and tons of travel in there as well. January's lighter, only 12 games in January. Right now, they're in the middle of a stretch of two games in seven days. So the Flames should be well-rested going into this game against the Islanders tonight. What always worries me when you're playing a team in the second half of a back-to-back is how that team's going to start. Because generally, they're like a car that's already been warmed up. They're ready to go. Uh, the Flames have had a light week. So for me, the, the key to this hockey game tonight is the start. Flames don't necessarily have to score first but I think they have to potentially weather an Islander storm early, keep the game close, and then hopefully you take advantage of a tired team uh, in the second and third period. So that would be my outlook going into tonight's game. The Islanders with 23 first-period goals, few, uh, third fewest in the entire NHL, and uh, the Flames hoping to uh, capitalize on a stat like that. And you mentioned Flames good against the Pacific Division. They're 8-3-2 and two against the yeah. Pacific. Really solid uh, so far this season. Uh, last one here for you, Willsey. We found out that Nazem Kadri is going to be the Flames nominee for the All-Star festivities as uh, one player from each team was named, but there's also going to be a fan vote to add three other players to each team. If you had to pick someone on the Flames to bang the drum for your fan vote, who's it going to be? Uh, other than Nazem Kadri, I'm going with Elias Lindholm, who, again, I think has been their best player, certainly their best forward to this point in the season, 35 points in 38 games, which is remarkable when you think about the fact that he was a point-of-game player last season, 82 points in 82 games, but on his left side, he had Johnny Gaudreau, 40 goals, 100 points. On his right side, Matthew Kachuk, 40 goals, 100 points. You take those two guys away, and Elias Lindholm is still an excellent hockey player. So I think that says a ton about him. So he would be number one on my list. Number two on my list would be Rasmus Anderson. I think he once again looks like one of the elite defensemen in this league, playing on an elite pairing with Noah Hannafin. And Rasmus has been really good defensively, but offensively uh, on pace for another career year with 27 points in 39 games. I think he has been excellent. And then third, I would have to go with Tyler Toffoli. And I know he's not as big a name as some, but... I think you could argue that he has been 
the Flames' most consistent player so far this season. Leads the team in goals with 15, second on the team in points with 31, and there hasn't been a lot of ups and downs in his game. He's been up, and he's on pace for a career year, and he's had a lot of really good seasons in this league, so that says something. So uh, Kadri's been uh, a really nice addition for the Flames, and I think he's going to be even better in the second half, and hopefully uh, should the Flames get there in the Stanley Cup playoffs, but I think Elias Lindholm, Tyler Toffoli, and Rasmus Anderson have been excellent as well. Enjoy your day today, pal, and uh, we'll look forward to hearing you on the call tonight. All right, guys. Sounds good. Have a good day. Bye, Wilsey, and uh, good luck to your fins. Thanks. We'll need it. <laughs> uh, always the optimist on our broadcast mm-hmm. team, hey? Yeah. Lou with his Vikings and Derek with his fins. They've been through uh, They've been through a lot. Yeah. They've been through Lifelong a lot. Lifelong fans of those two yeah. teams. That's a... I mean, Derek. A ride. Uh, Derek wasn't around for the undefeated Dolphins. I'm pretty sure. No, I don't think he was born in 1972. No, no. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I don't think so. No, 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 no. I don't know how old but, Derek is. I don't think he's. No, no. That would make him what 50. Put him over 50. So. Yeah, I, I don't think so. Right on 50, actually. And Derek Williams. That's 50. very rude to discuss his age. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, should be a good weekend. Uh, tons of NFL. Flames Islanders tonight. Mm-hmm. Flames Blackhawks on Sunday. Sunday. What else can we tell you about coming up this weekend? Raptors, Knicks, that's going to be on Sportsnet at 5.30 tonight. Portland on Sunday as The well. Hitmen are on the road. They got two more games. They're playing the Warriors tonight in Moose Jaw, and then they got the Pats on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, the PGA Century Tournament of Champions is underway. Uh, Wranglers back on Sunday at the Dome. The Roughnecks are on the road. I don't know if that game's televised or not. But yeah, the Wranglers are at home. They'll be taking on the Bakersfield Condors. Yes, Condors. That's the Edmonton yeah. affiliate. Yeah. Yeah. I always get them confused with the San Diego Gulls, who are the Ducks affiliate. Yes. I always forget who's who. And then there's tons of big NFL games. Raiders, Chiefs, Saturday. Titans, Jaguars, Saturday. Uh, and then Sunday, Patriots, Bills, Jets, Dolphins, Browns, Steelers, Giants, Eagles, Cardinals, 49ers, Rams, Seahawks, Cowboys, Commanders, and the night ends of the Lions and the Packers. All big games. So... No shortage of content nope. if you're looking to uh, take in a little bit of sports this weekend. Enjoy it, pals. It's we'll talk to you nice on Monday. It's going to be a nice weekend as well. Next weekend, too? That's, it's going to be nice weather. Oh, it's going to be nice here? Nice weather. You promise? Yeah. All right. Patty said it. And if he's wrong, we'll give you his Twitter on Monday. <laughs> talk to you then, guys. Bye.